0: I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 19. Hear now God's word, for God does indeed speak through his word. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And so ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we implore you to give us clarity and understanding this morning. We uh, know that you recognize our weakness, our frailty, or even our foolishness, our slowness of thought. And we pray that you would speak clearly to us this morning. Would you open our eyes that we would behold wondrous things from your word. Fix our eyes on Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. If we pay attention as we read through the story in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, one of the dominant themes that we will hear throughout scripture, is the theme of God's people dwelling in God's presence. God dwelt with his people, his image bearers, in the garden at the very beginning of the story. And at the end of the story, we hear the glorious words, Behold, now the dwelling place of God is with man. I say glorious words because in the midst of that, in the middle of Genesis and Revelation, there is a great disconnect between God's people. A disconnect that happened in Genesis chapter 3 in the account of the fall into sin. Sin disrupts, it disconnects us from the Almighty God with whom we are meant to be in closeness, in proximity, and in fellowship. If you remember back to that story in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam fell into sin, two things, notable things happened. First, we were overcome by shame and we fled God's presence. Adam and Eve hid from God. They ran away. They tried to get away from him. The second thing was our guilt made us unfit to be in God's presence. God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. He expelled them from his presence. But praise God, that wasn't the end of the story. In fact, the whole of redemptive history, the whole of God's story, is in many ways a story where God is repeatedly showing us this progressive movement of to this glorious reunion in God's presence. And where we stand in our point in history is we are in the middle of that story. And our experience reflects the fact that we are caught in the middle of that. In many ways, we recognize uh, we need to be in God's presence. We want to be in God's presence. We yearn for God's presence, but at the same time, we fear it We avoid it, and we flee, and we feel unfit to be in God's presence. But what we need to realize is that we actually stand on this side of the climax of that glorious story of being able to dwell in God's presence forever. Because God has given to us Jesus Christ as our priest Now, it might be easy for us to look at the incarnation of Jesus Christ, Jesus coming to become like us, to dwell among us, as the climax, for indeed God did come to dwell with his people. But God went even further, because by making Jesus Christ our priest, he opened up the way for us to be fit to dwell in his presence forever. And that's what we need to see in this passage is that we need need to be perfected to to be able to dwell in God's presence. We need a priest who can perfect us so that we can draw near to God. And in Jesus Christ, God has provided us that priest. So as we look at this passage, we're going to look at it under three basic headings. The first is why we need Christ as a priest. The second is what we know since Christ is our priest. And the third is how you make Christ your priest. So let's begin by considering why we need Christ as our priest. Well, the first thing we need to realize is that we need a priest. We, we might not think in terms of needing a priest, but we need a priest. Without a priest, we are unable to relate to God. We have no share of a relationship with God. God is holy and God demands holiness. He will not uh, permit a lack of holiness, a lack of perfection in his presence. And apart from some kind of mediator some some means of making us holy and pure and perfect we cannot dwell in his presence but god has been always gracious and kind to institute this office of a priest to represent god's people in his presence we, we, you see it clearly in the old testament that this, this priestly nature was this priestly office was necessary. But when we look at this passage and, and we hear that Jesus has been made a priest forever, it means we still need a priest. We still need a priest. And the priest is the mediator of this relationship that we have with the Almighty God. It, it, we saw this a little bit when we looked at Melchizedek last week, but by way of review, Melchizedek had two things that he did with respect to Abraham. He uh, received the tithes, or he accepted the worship of Abraham, and he also blessed Abraham. He imparted God's very blessings to Abraham. In in essence, he he was making fit that worship of Abraham, and he was giving Abraham, imparting to Abraham those blessings. Those blessings came by way of a priest. And that happens in that relationship that God establishes. We would call that relationship a covenantal relationship, where God condescends to enter into a covenant with his people, and when he establishes that covenant, he establishes a priest, a priestly mediator, to be the means of uh, affecting that relationship. And that relationship, uh, those benefits that uh, worship is always done in terms of, Scripture uses the language of nearness, of drawing near to God. Uh, You you see it all over the Psalms. um, Psalm 34 says, the Lord is near the brokenhearted, Psalm 65 says, blessed is the one that you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Psalm 73 says, for it was good for me to be near God. May the I have made the Lord God my refuge. So this, we, we, we receive the blessings of God. We worship God as we draw near to him, but we must have a priest in order to Draw near to him because he is holy and we are not. But the second thing we need to realize is that we it's not just that we need a priest. We need the right priest. We need the right priest. What our text says in language that may be difficult for us to understand is that as God establishes his covenant, he establishes these priests as mediators of the covenant. And so as such... That priest, as he serves, is the, the nature of our relationship with the Almighty God is conditioned by that covenant and related to that priest. He's talking about the, the former priest, the Levitical priest, and he's talking in terms of the law because the Levitical priests, were established under the law. We could call it a covenant of law. And as such, our relationship to God was governed by law. And what the terms of that covenant said was, you must do everything in the book of this law. You must be perfectly obedient, and on terms of the perfect obedience, you will have access into God's presence but our author says that there's a problem with that that he calls the the law weak and useless he says um he says if perfection had been attainable why would we have needed another priest later he says the law uh, may makes nothing perfect and that's absolutely true think about what uh what the law does the law says you must do this or you must not do that it is it is only convicting when we fail to uphold it if we fail any part of to obey that law the law has no provision for us to perfect ourselves to to come back from that fault the law only says you have broken the law and the apostle james says that it's if we, if we fail on just one part of it, then we have broken the entire law. That the law is absolute. That we, we must perfectly obey that. So the terms of that covenant were an absolute obedience. It only convicts. And, and think about the implications of that. In, in case you've missed it, if the, the pictures in the Old Testament, were not pictures of, uh, of what we hope for in the new heavens and the new earth. For one thing, there was this constant reminder of death in the Levitical priesthood. The, the Israelites had to bring thousands upon thousands of animal sacrifices, constantly slaughtering, blood everywhere. Everything, blood, everything had to be purified with blood a constant reminder of death from the animals themselves. Even even the priests. The priests were men that were subject to death. They would eventually die away. There was this image of impermanence. Imper- it, was, it was never enough. There was never enough sacrifice. There was, there was always another priest that was going to be coming around. It was this endless litany of sacrifices. So there was that, that image of death, but it was also the law was useless in the goal which was drawing people near to God. In fact, the law was primarily focused on uh, expelling people from God. If you, if you read through uh, the, the law passages in the Old Testament, so many of them, well, for one thing, the, the people of God um, would, would camp together and they would establish their camp. And God, God established his tabernacle in the midst of the camp. And um, that was where his, his presence was as they wandered through the wilderness. And there's even prescriptions uh, for how they would camp, where 12 tribes would camp around the perimeter and that would kind of establish the outer part of the camp. And then there was the Levites who were within that outer camp and then there was the tabernacle but the tabernacle was was guarded and then the people would come in and there would be a a sacrifice and then only the priests could go into the the tent of meeting which is where god was and there was the holy place and then the most holy place but the most holy place was only for not even the the priests as a whole but only the high priest and only one day out of the year And only after he was properly adorned and he had properly washed and all these different things. And so the the presence of God was within this camp. And as you read those commands, so many of them are talking about when somebody breaks the law, they were to be taken outside the camp, outside of God's people, and many times executed. But even within those who were part of the camp, you know, For them to draw near to God, it was all these hurdles. They had to pass through the Levites. They had to pass by Moses and Aaron and his sons who were guarding the tabernacle. They were only able to come into the tabernacle to bring their sacrifice. And then only the priests could go further and only the high priest in the final way into God's presence. It was a picture of absolute separation, not a picture of actually being able to draw near to God, It was useless in bringing about what we need, which is nearness to God. But praise God, God had something better in store from the very beginning, which is why God appointed Christ as a better priest of a better covenant. Uh, throughout the book of Hebrews the author frequently quotes this passage where he says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's there in verse 17. We read that as a part of our uh, Old Testament reading. That's from Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 is a psalm that is attributed to King David. And King David, of course, lived in the Old Testament in the time of the Levitical priests. And... In the midst of this psalm, God is saying, he's declaring that there's going to be a new priest, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And that must have been a jarring thought to the Israelites because their whole experience was governed by law, their experience was governed by the Levitical priests, sacrifices upon sacrifices, and then God says that there is going to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, and why that's remarkable is because the law itself said priests had to be Levites. The law said, the law declared, Aaron and his sons would be the high priest. So if there is a new priest that is coming after the order of Melchizedek, that means that the law is going to be set aside. That the law is going to be set aside for something better. There must be a new covenant to replace this current law. A new terms of the relationship that God's people will have with God. And that was further confirmed, and that's what our author says, further confirmed as this prophecy unfolds and is revealed to refer to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is from the tribe of Judah. And what he says is that the law says absolutely nothing about a priest being from the tribe of Judah. And if there's a priest now who's not, who's from the tribe of Judah, then the law must have been set aside. And the weakness and futility of the law has given way to, he calls it, a better hope. Or later, a better covenant. A better hope. And that's we realize what we have in Jesus Christ we we recognize that we most certainly have a better hope than what was formerly there the law was weak and useless to perfect unable to perfect us but as we've heard through the book of Hebrews Jesus Christ was perfected is perfect he is a perfect high priest and he'll tell us later that he is even perfecting us Perfecting us for what purpose? Perfecting us, making us perfect so that we can dwell in God's presence. And dwelling in God's presence, we can receive his blessings. We can give him true worship, acceptable worship. So it's better a better hope from that standpoint. It's also a better hope because now we can draw near. The law was, was useless in allowing us to draw near. It kept us away from God. But now we've been commanded with full assurance of confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive help in time of need. And it's, it's a better hope because of its permanence. There was priest upon priest upon priest, generation after generation. As one died, another one came. There was sacrifice upon sacrifice. So this constant reminder of death. But Jesus is made a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement of a law that was weak and useless, but on the power of an indestructible life such that he is a priest forever, that his sacrifice was once forever, that we we will never have another priest. There will never be another sacrifice because that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. By, and he is established on the authority of the power of an indestructible life it's a better hope that we will receive that which we have been promised from the very beginning and beloved this is now how we receive the promised blessings of from our god and this is how we bring acceptable worship there is no longer a way the door open on the basis of the law. It is only through Jesus Christ because the law has been set aside for a new hope in Christ. Which means that when all is said and done, we will either draw near to God in Christ Jesus and remain in God's presence forever and ever. Or we will be excluded from God's presence. We will be cast outside the camp forever and ever. There is no other way. As we read, no one comes to the Father except through me. We need Christ as our priest. He is the only acceptable and he is the only effective priest and will be for all eternity. You are a priest forever. So that's why we need Christ as our priest. But there's a few things that we know because Christ is our priest. And the first is that, beloved, you need to recognize that God desires you. He he desires that you would dwell in his presence for all eternity. We know this because he sent his son, Jesus Christ. God had given his law. He had given his law. And we would never keep that law. We would fail each and every day. And there would be no way to perfect us and make us right to dwell in his presence. And God could have. He could have left things like that. He could have said, you failed to meet my righteous demands. Paul says the law is righteous and holy and good. There was nothing wrong with the law. The problem was with us. And yet God so loved us. He so loved you with an eternal love that he sent his son to fulfill the law, to perfectly keep the law, so that he could become our perfect high priest and so that God could set aside the terms of that covenant to give us a new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he did it at a great expense. So, I mean, we we might ask, well, why, why then did God even bother with the law? You know, what was the whole point of the law? Beloved, I hope you see that the point of the law was to show you and me that God demands holiness, God demands a mediator. He demands perfection, but also to, to draw us to Christ, that we would cling to him knowing our inability to be able to fulfill the law's demands on our own account. It was to uh, develop a love and a passion for Jesus Christ. So we know that God desires us to dwell in his presence, but the second thing is uh, that we know that God will only allow us to approach him and to dwell with him in Jesus Christ. Our access to God is only through Christ and not through our obedience. It's not through our obedience. Um, And yeah, we still try, don't we? We still try to find something worthy in ourselves, something in our own accomplishments something in our own righteousness, like if only I just slay this sin or if only I serve in this particular way, we are called to do all those things, beloved. But those things are are not the grounds for why we have a, a share in our God. We only have a share in our God because of Christ Jesus. Even if we could, we will never keep the law's demands, but even if we could, For one day, for one moment, keep the law's demands. There's no way that we could ever repay the debt that we have already incurred. And we incur it at such a rate that it'd be like trying to pay off the national debt with minimum wage. It's impossible. We would never do it. It's impossible. And not only that, even if we could, even if we were perfect, if we were able to perfect ourselves on the basis of the law, God has closed the door he has set aside that covenant. It's no longer a valid way of approaching our God. There's a, a movie that came out about 20 years ago that starred Tom Hanks, and it was it's a fictional story loosely based on uh, true events. Uh, it tells the story of a guy who's flying on a plane from Eastern Europe, and while he's in the air flying to New York, his, comp- or his country uh, crumbles under a military coup. And when he arrives at uh, New York, uh, his passport's invalid because his country is no longer a country and the country where he, the, the, the new leaders that took over don't recognize his passport. And so he's stuck in the airplane terminal uh, until this can somehow be resolved. And in many ways, beloved, that is what happens when we try to gain access to our God on the basis of our own merit and law. It was always a faulty thing. It's not recognized by our God. God would say, I'm sorry, I'm not listening to your obedience now. I only accept Christ, my son. He has shed his blood for you. He has fulfilled the law for you. Why are you seeking to come on your own terms? And so, beloved, we need to cling to Christ, and we need to abandon these hopes of trying to find something in us that would make us worthy to come into God's holy presence. Our holiness, our perfection will only come because of his son, Jesus Christ, who was perfect for us. But the third thing that we, I think we know by recognizing that Christ is our priest is that God still demands perfection. It's just our perfection must come through Jesus Christ. He still demands holiness of his people, but our holiness comes in Christ. In Christ Jesus, God provided a better hope of holiness, a better hope of perfection, where we will actually attain it in two ways. In Christ Jesus, we are counted perfect, counted perfect, Holy, seen as holy, we are given a holy disposition by the work of the Holy Spirit. God accepts us as righteous in his sight. But also, beloved, we still have this indwelling sin. We still have these marks of impurity that God would purify us of. And he has given us his Holy Spirit, and he has commanded us now by the power of that Spirit that has made us holy, be holy. Work out your holiness with fear and trembling. Pursue the holiness without which no one can see the Lord. But now what we need to understand is we pursue holiness now, beloved, not in order to attain God's favor, but because we have God's favor, because he has loved us and he has purified us for himself, we now work out that purity and that holiness with the strength and the effectiveness of his Holy Spirit. It is evidence and fruit of the faith that unites us to Jesus Christ. It will happen. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. There is a new law of sorts that we now, having been loved and made right in Jesus Christ, we can now walk in that newness of life that we have. Not on the basis of our salvation, but um, out of love for him, which is really good because we will never, in this life, be totally obedient. We will never, in this life, totally slay all the sin that is in our heart. In fact, I'm convinced the closer we draw to our God, the more he works holiness in us, the more we will see the potency of our sin, the destructiveness of our sin. The We will yearn for God's presence when he removes that that thorn from our hearts forever and ever. And we can dwell with him and receive those blessings and worship him in the splendor of his holiness without fear or doubt or shame or guilt or any such thing. But in this life, we we will not taste that in its fullness. And yet, Christ frees us to truly be obedient from the heart, to truly repent, and to truly walk with zeal. And that's what he calls you and me to do. And beloved, if we would have any hope to receive the blessings of Christ and to enjoy our God forever, we must receive Christ as our priest. He must be ours forever and ever. So the last thing... That we need to discuss is if you have not yet received Christ as your priest, how, how does one do that? What does that look like? And I would say five things that we must do in order to receive Christ as our priest. is The first is we need to re- understand the eternal end that is for all mankind. There will be two camps, Scripture says, at the end of the age. There are those who are inside the camp of Christ, and get to enjoy the blessedness of reward forever and ever. And there are all those who are outside of Christ, who have not put their hope in him, and will be cast out forever and ever, and receive his righteous judgment, and yearn for even a, a glimpse of the blessing of Christ, and will have no hope for all eternity. So that's the first thing, recognize our eternal end. Secondly, recognize that you need a mediator in order to dwell in God's presence. That that, God's presence is where we need to be, but we need a mediator in order to be able to draw near. That the law exposes us as naked and filthy. And apart from uh, by ourselves, we have no way to go into God's presence. We need to be clothed, we need to be cleansed, and Jesus Christ has come to do that for us. We need a perfect mediator to get us access to our God. And so the third thing is to recognize that Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. He is the only mediator that for God's people to have any hope to enter into his presence. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law's demands both in his obedience but also his punishment. He was hung outside of the city, cast out of the city, and our sins were laid on him so that we could be able to draw near in Christ Jesus, so that we could be forgiven and cleansed and given his priestly garments for all eternity. He has ascended into the true most holy place on our behalf, and he is drawing us there now. If we come in him and we will be accepted now and forever. So we need Christ as that mediator. And so the fourth thing is to put our trust squarely and solely in Christ to represent us in God's presence. And to present us as pure and spotless in his sight and to perfect us in his holiness He's doing that. That's what Scripture says. He's making us perfect for his presence. And finally, pursue the holiness that we've been given in Jesus Christ. It's, gift and it's a gift of God. It's evidence of the work of his spirit. It's evidence of our salvation, of our calling in Jesus Christ, that he would begin to even now conform us to that image that we will have for all eternity that purity, that holiness. This will be an unending task in this life, but it is a necessary and joyful task for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, at the end of the story, Revelation chapter 21, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, hear what what our God says. This is the picture that we have to look forward to He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Beloved, this is the glorious end that is set before us in Jesus Christ, to dwell in the fullness of his splendor and beauty and holiness forever and ever. Psalm 16 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleas- pleasures forevermore. Beloved, this is the better and sure hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. This is is the hope and the certainty that we have when Christ is our priest. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your abundant mercy that you reveal to us again and again, that we would be recipients of your grace, that you would desire us to dwell in your presence, that you would desire to lavish your love and your blessings for all eternity. We are most certainly not worthy. But we praise you because you have chosen to reveal these things to us, to draw us to yourself in love. And so, Father, help us to worship you with joy as recipients of your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, our